Well, if you have a Bible with you today, or you can open that Bible app, but join me, if you will, in Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. We're continuing on in our study through the book of Daniel, and uh, specifically, we're going to be focusing in on the, the, the last little bit of the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. And today what we're going to see is how the haughty are humbled, how the haughty are brought low. Now, before we jump into our text this morning, I want you to just think about something with me for a moment. Many of you are probably have heard of a guy by the name of Muhammad Ali. If you're not familiar with Ali, we actually have a picture that we're going to put up of him on the screen. But Muhammad Ali was a great boxer for many years who was known for being very outspoken. Now, like I said, he was a very good boxer, but more than that, he liked to talk about how great he was, that he was the greatest who ever lived. In fact, um, I want to just read a few quotes for you from Muhammad Ali. He, He said this, he said, I am the greatest. I said that even before I knew I was. Okay, that's a little bit of a perspective of how he looked at things. I was the greatest before I even did anything. He also was known for saying this. He said, it's not bragging if you can back it up. It's like he's saying, you know what? I I don't know what to tell you. I'm just that good. Or what about this one? It's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. It's hard to be humble when you're as great as I am. Well, there's a story that I heard a while back about Ali that I thought was kind of interesting. He's on an airplane. They're going through a little, a bit of major turbulence. And the flight attendants are going up and down the aisle and they're telling everyone, hey, you need to put your seatbelts on. So Muhammad Ali is quoted as saying to the flight attendant, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And that's exactly what he said to her. So Uh, She leans over to him and she looks at him in the eye and she says, well, Superman don't need no plane either. So get your seatbelt on. What this woman was trying to help him understand was you you might think that you're Superman and and that you don't need a seatbelt, but clearly you're not as great as you think you are because you can't fly. Now, I don't know if he ever put his seatbelt on or not, but I think it's kind of interesting that there are times when we think that we are invincible, but there is nothing that is further from the truth. I mean, if we were to be honest and to look at our lives and to think about all of the things that we could brag about today, I wonder, is there anything that we could possibly say that I am totally responsible for? You know, as I was thinking about that, the only thing I could think of, honestly, that I'm totally responsible for in my life is my own sin. That's what I can take credit for. I really don't have any ability to be able to take credit for anything else. Anything good in my life is because of something that God has done. And so, if you think about it, there are all of these debates in our culture today about the greatest of all time. Who's the the goat in football? Who's the goat in baseball, basketball? People are constantly arguing about these things. And I really don't think that any person can uh, declare that about themselves. That No one can say about themselves, I'm the greatest of all time. And yet that's exactly what people are doing these days. They're saying, listen, I am the greatest in this particular situation. I love what C.S. Lewis said about this. We're going to put this quote up on the screen, but he said, 
Pride is a lot like bad breath. Everyone knows that you have it except for yourself. Pride is a lot like bad breath. Everyone knows that you have it except for yourself. The point is this, that that pride is something that everyone else notices except for the person who actually has it, right? I mean, have you ever known someone to enjoy pointing out the flaws in everyone else? A person who likes to point out the things that are wrong, likes to point out people's failures. I think that if we're not careful naturally, that, that's something that all of us likes to do. That we like to point out the problems in other people because it makes us feel better about ourselves. And maybe we're not like King Nebuchadnezzar who thought that he was the greatest and that everyone needed to bow down and worship him. But I think that there is something inside of all of us that is haughty, that is prideful, that if we are not careful, it can have a devastating impact on our lives. And so, as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, I want us to just think about this. And I I think it's important for us to ask ourselves the question, well, what is it that God wants me to know about Him and about myself? What is it that God wants to teach me today? Now, and just as a reminder here this morning of where we are in the story of Daniel... There's this king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. He is a pagan king of a pagan nation uh, of Babylon. He he defeats God's people. He brings them, he brings the best and the brightest 1,600 miles away from their homeland in Jerusalem in order to reprogram and to change them. Along the way, God allows people like uh, Daniel and his friends to amaze King Nebuchadnezzar so much so that uh, their godly intentions and their ability to do their jobs well... Uh, puts them in these positions of leadership and authority. In chapter 2, we saw how the king had this scary dream that he didn't understand. Daniel is the only one in all of the kingdom who is able to tell the king his dream and its interpretation. And Daniel tries to point Nebuchadnezzar to the Lord. And it seems as if he is somewhat sensitive to the things of the Lord, but then he goes out and he creates this 10-story high golden statue That everyone is to come and to bow down and worship. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't bow down. And so he throws them into the fiery furnace. They they, they don't get burned up in the furnace. But instead, Nebuchadnezzar sees a fourth person walking around in the fire with them. At the beginning of chapter 4, the king has another scary dream that we learned about last week. It was a dream about this huge tree that everyone is benefiting from, and then all of a sudden it gets chopped down. Nebuchadnezzar wants to know what this dream is all about, and so he goes to everyone in the nation except for the one person who can interpret dreams. After he has exhausted all of his resources, he finally comes to Daniel, and Daniel says, you know what, I wish that this dream was for somebody else. I wish this was for one of your enemies, but I'm sorry, king, this dream is about you. In the last words that we read last week, chapter 4 and verse 27, Daniel pleads with the king. He says this, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. He's saying, King, You you can either repent now or regret later. Please, King Nebuchadnezzar, there is still time. 
Put your pride away. Humble yourself. And maybe, just maybe, you won't experience all the horrible things that are coming your way. Now, I want you to notice what happens beginning in the very next verse. Verse 28 says this. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace in Babylon. Now, let's stop there for just a second. God had warned him, and he sat around for 12 months. What was he doing during that time? Probably the thing that we often do when God speaks to us. Well, you know what? I'll get around to it. I'll deal with that later. Surely he's not as serious as he says he is. For 12 months, he does nothing in response to this dream. Look at this again, verse 29. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? You talk about pride, you talk about narcissism, and Nebuchadnezzar looks out over all of the city and he says, look at what I've made with my own hands. Verse 31 says, while these words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. Now, I don't want you to miss this. This voice comes down and not up. And I think that this is very intentional. I think that this is really important for us to, to think about and to see here and to notice Here is Nebuchadnezzar. He is at the highest place in the city. He is looking down on all the things that he has built. And yet this voice comes from above him and he can hear it. Because God is still higher than he is. There fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men. And your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field... And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. Seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Here's Nebuchadnezzar, 12 months after hearing from God, he refuses to humble himself, and literally, in a moment of prideful arrogance, he verbalizes out loud everything that he believes in his heart. Look at what I've done with my power for my glory, and God says, listen, you've crossed the line. I warned you that this would happen, and now I've had enough. One year After being confronted by God in a dream, King Nebuchadnezzar maintained his prideful assumption that he's in charge. God had warned him, and yet he did not budge one bit. He he had plenty of opportunity to humble himself, and yet he didn't do it. I mean, if you think about this, when was King Nebuchadnezzar ever going to wake up? All the way back in chapter 1 up to this point in chapter 4, he has seen God do the miraculous. He has seen God's power over and over and over again. You would think that, that surely at some point he would wake up, but he never did. A year after this dream, maybe he thought, you know what, I'm, I'm good. 
God's never going to step in. God's never going to do anything about this. Maybe he thought, you know what? Daniel said this, but it's not really going to happen. God is just going to delay this whole thing. And so he thinks that he has plenty of time. Now, I don't want you to miss this, but one moment we are told that he is walking on the roof of his palace, looking down on all the people. The next moment, he is down on the ground and he is looking up. And this is where God has been trying to get him the entire time. That he would stop making the world all about himself and having people bow down and worship him. And instead, he would bow down and worship God. In fact, in the dream, God had said, King, you're going to go absolutely crazy and you're going to be more like an animal than you are like a man. You see, this man had thought that he was on the same level of God as God and yet he was going to be brought low, not to human level, but to subhuman level. He was going to be like an animal. But, but God is going to remove this man's sanity in a mere moment. And just one word from God, and God would remove the king's sanity and authority. This didn't happen over time. It wasn't over years. It was instantaneously that this happened. Nebuchadnezzar says, look at what I've done with my power for my glory. And God says, okay, that's it. He says, you're going to be driven out from among men and you're going to live like an animal in the field until the time that you realize that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to whom he wills. Now, this is shocking. But verse 33, it says that immediately, immediately Nebuchadnezzar was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. This guy is living outside and he looks pretty rough. No one wants to be near him. No one wants to help him. He refuses to honor God's glory. And so God takes his own glory away. Nebuchadnezzar is not the only person in human history to experience this. But he goes insane. He goes crazy. Maybe you have experienced something like this before. Or maybe someone around you that you know has. Where you, you, you just couldn't think straight. You didn't act the way you normally act. And, and um, I, I'm not going to ask for a, a show of hands or anything like that here this morning. But uh, have you ever gone through a period of time in your life where you, you did not recognize yourself? You did not even recognize the way that you were acting. And maybe you've seen a family member or a friend go through such a low point mentally, emotionally, spiritually, where you just said, you know what, they're acting in a, in a way that's really scary because they're not even acting like themselves anymore. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. Some people will ask, well, was this a health issue? Was this a mental issue? Was this a spiritual issue? And I would say to that that I think all of these things are probably involved here. That God takes away Nebuchadnezzar's sanity. He lives like this for seven years. This is not seven days. This is not seven minutes. This is seven years until he finally wakes up and he's restored. One of the things that I find interesting when it comes to this, especially as a pastor, especially as someone who gives counsel to people, but when someone's not acting like themselves, you might wonder, uh, well, what should a person do in a situation like this? Should they go to a doctor? Should they go see a counselor? Should they see a pastor? 
And I would say that possibly all of those people need to be seen. I think every situation is a little bit different, but I think that doctors and counselors can be helpful. Sometimes we we just need someone to talk through things with. Sometimes we just need a doctor to give us supplements or a medication that can help regulate our bodies. Sometimes just getting outside and getting a little bit of sunlight can benefit us and help us to feel better. But I just want to be really clear here about this. No matter what you are going through, you better make sure that God is at the center of all of it. That you seek him first, that you seek him last, and you seek him for everything in between. Because I think that a lot of times our first response is to say, well, the doctor said this, and the counselor said that, and the nutritionist said this other thing, and we don't even think about the Lord. The reality is that those things might help, but they're not going to deliver you. In this moment, Nebuchadnezzar probably has a lot of things going on. And I guarantee you that there are probably a bunch of people who would say, Nebuchadnezzar, if you would just take this product that I have, then you would not be like an eagle anymore. Which might be true. It might help him. But deep down, I don't care what the product is. Nebuchadnezzar's real issue is that he needs to humble himself before the Lord. What's going on here is that God is the author of this situation. Because a prideful man refused to bow his knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the reality is is that no matter what is going on in any of our lives, God is doing a work that he is trying to get our attention. And he will do whatever it takes in order to accomplish his purposes. Now, what takes place next is that we're about to hear the testimony from King Nebuchadnezzar that is absolutely, absolutely amazing. Pick up the story in verse 34, and here's what we read. It says, at the end of the days, which I believe is seven years because it says seven periods of time. But at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven. You see the difference here? In the beginning, he's on top of his palace, and he is looking down on all the people of the earth. Now we are seeing him, and he is looking up towards heaven. And realizing this, that I'm not the most powerful, not the most important person that there is. Nebuchadnezzar has always thought that he was the most mighty, most significant person around. But now he has been brought low and it causes him to look up and he says, wow, there is somebody who is higher than me. And it is the most crucial point in his life when he realizes it's not all about me. The moment of deliverance comes when he finally understands that he is not the greatest thing in the world. He says, I lifted my my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will, uh, to, to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, And I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. 
Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. These are the last words that we hear from King Nebuchadnezzar. Next week, we're going to see one of his descendants who is on the throne. But these are the last words that we have from Nebuchadnezzar. Here's a person who all his life thought that his kingdom was an everlasting kingdom. But what does he say in verse 34? He says, no, no, no. The Most High, who I have, I'm looking up to right now, is the one who has dominion over everything, that, that he's going to last forever and I'm not. His kingdom is going to endure from generation to generation. Mine is going to be done after just a few months. All of the inhabitants of the earth, everyone who is high and mighty and great, they're all accounted as nothing. He can do whatever it is that he wants every, uh, here on this earth and among the hosts of heaven. The angels can't block him. The people on earth can't block him. Nobody can say to him, what have you done, God? No one can change his mind or stop his plans from happening. We cannot petition, make a petition that's large enough to somehow make him do what it is that we want him to do. In this moment when Nebuchadnezzar finally gets it, his reason returns to him and even his kingdom and authority are returned to him as well. Now, I just want you to imagine this with me for a moment. I mean, imagine something like this happening to a leader in our country or in any country uh, in the year 2020. I mean, here's a guy who is high and mighty and powerful and all of a sudden has a mental breakdown and he, you see him out in this big open field eating grass like a wild animal. And it's not like this is something that you mistakenly saw or that the media had twisted this thing or something like that. No, this goes on for seven years. And then all of a sudden, the sanity of this person is restored and they say, hey, can I have my job back? Now, I imagine that if something like that happened, it would not go very well in our world today. And yet, what's so amazing to me about this story is that after seven years of him losing his mind, God restores this man, and he restores his kingdom back to him as well. In fact, we are told here that once he acknowledged the Most High, once he realized that he's not the greatest of all times, that his his kingdom was restored and that he experienced more greatness than he had before. You say, well, was King Nebuchadnezzar converted? Was King Nebuchadnezzar saved in this moment? I'm honestly not sure, but the way that the scripture is written here, it's pretty clear that something major did happen in his life. And personally, with this type of declaration, I think that Nebuchadnezzar bowed his knee to the Lord and it wasn't long after this that he died. But what's so amazing to me are the last words of this king. One of the most prideful, arrogant men who has ever walked the face of this earth. And he says this, those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You know, I think one of the clear things that we see as we walk through the book, this book of the Bible is how God it does some amazing, unexpected things in order to put his majesty and his glory on display. That he can raise up a kingdom and he can take it down in a day. He can take the mightiest and the most stubborn men and he can penetrate right into their hearts. He can penetrate into their minds. He can raise up a king and he can take down that same king. 
in the scriptures, we read about some of the greatest, some of the most powerful kingdoms in this world that this world has ever seen. And yet, in the textbooks today, they're just a footnote. And yet, it, 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 we still live in a time and we live in a nation where there are leaders who will say, you know what? I am big enough and I am powerful enough to last forever. I, I'm going to be eternal. And I picture God kind of sitting up in heaven and saying, are you really sure about that? In fact, I think about it a little bit like this. If you've ever played the game Gestures before, you probably have seen something like this. And you have this yellow knob on the side and you turn the knob and it sets this timer. And then you put these four different cards up top in the slots. And the goal is to make sure that you can get your teammates to guess the words that are on these cards here. But it makes this ticking noise once you set it, and you have a certain amount of time, and then the card falls down. And, and if you don't guess the word in time, then you don't get any points. And, and eventually, the time just all runs out. Sometimes, I, I think particularly about America, that, that God has given some very huge blessings to us. But he keeps calling us to repent, and, and we just ignore him, thinking that it's just going to last forever. And I wonder, when is the timer going to go off? When is it going to be too late for us? As a nation, we need to humble ourselves. But I don't want us to just think about the big picture of us as a nation here in this. We need to stop and to take some time to think about this on a much smaller personal level. How often has God said to you or to me, repent, repent, repent? No, we don't want to just sit around for 12 months uh, watching the clock ticking. God is serious about those last words from King Nebuchadnezzar. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. I think that this story is a powerful lesson for us today. Here's King Nebuchadnezzar at the height of his pride. And he is brought low and he experiences the beauty of humility. And I think that God, through his word, is showing us something that is very important here. That God will not tolerate someone else trying to steal his glory for long. You might think of it uh, about, uh, you might think about uh, the, the fact that maybe you're getting away with this for a while. I, I mean, uh, God often can be looked at and viewed as having a long fuse or being very, very patient or he allows us to make lots of mistakes. But there comes a point where he finally says, you know what, that's enough. It's over and I'm not going to take, I, 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 I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm not going to allow this to happen anymore. I am going to take these drastic measures in order to wake you up. God will not tolerate anyone trying to steal his glory for long. In fact, if you read through the, the narrative of Scripture, what, what you'll see is that even uh, our adversary, Satan, I mean, at one point he was a, an angel, second in command, and, and, and yet he wanted more, and God brought him low. Adam and Eve, we want to eat from that tree, and then we can determine what's right and wrong, and God brings them down. We, we, we could look at stories that, uh, like the, the Tower of Babel. And they say, hey, we're going to build this tall tower so that everyone can see and uh, see our glory and that we can reach to heaven. 
And God stops them in their tracks and he confuses their language and he scatters them throughout the earth. Goliath is super high and tall and mighty and some little kid comes with a few rocks and takes him down. King Uzziah talked about in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, King Uzziah, it says, was marvelously helped until he became strong. You think about that. I mean, that God helped him and helped him and helped him until he became strong. And then what does it say about him? It says, but when he was strong, he became proud to his own destruction. Some of us don't realize that the great things that we boast about, we don't even, we we didn't even earn. There there, had been gifts that were given to us. They, They were gifts, and yet we boast about them as if, we are something great and that we did something great. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, For who sees anything different in you? What, did, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? What he's saying is that What you and I have is nothing but a gift from God. And yet, oftentimes, we can boast and brag about it as if we've done something. We we, we say things like, you know what? It's just because I was smart enough. Or it, it was because I worked harder than everyone else. It's all about me. It's because of me. And God says, really? 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 says that nothing... That, that we are nothing but a bunch of clay jars. And God puts these beautiful things inside of us, but, but the, interior, the exterior is uh, not all that impressive. It's not all that great. It's all about what God does in and through us. James chapter 1 and verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so I think that in all of this, we need to be careful that, that we're not living in such a way where we're saying, hey, hey, look at how great I am. Look at how wonderful these things that I've done. Because if we live that way, sooner or later, God is going to give us a wake of call. He will not tolerate us stealing his glory for long. Now, it's not wrong to look around and see all the great things that you've been given. The house that you live in, the family that you have, your job, the opportunities that you've been given. It's not bad to notice all of those things. But we need to recognize that those things are all blessings from God rather than our own personal accomplishments. Sure, you might be a hard worker. But at the end of the day, you don't have anything unless he gives it to you. Your trust is not in your own ability or your own strength or your own wisdom. No, your trust is to be in the Lord. And we need to acknowledge that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from him. Now, as we close our time here this morning, I just want to challenge us with one more thing. How you finish is more important than how you start. How you finish is more important than how you start. You look at Nebuchadnezzar's life, and so much of his life is characterized by pride and arrogance, but in the end, he is humbled and he acknowledges the greatness of the Most High God. 
And some of you are here this morning and you feel like you have messed up majorly in your life. Well, I just want to encourage you because uh, you can experience the transformation like Nebuchadnezzar experienced. Because God can take what is broken and busted up in you and he can make you new. He can uh, do what you can't even begin to imagine or comprehend. Humble yourself before him today and he will lift you up. And it may not be in the prestige and honor of this world, but it's in the fact that God loves you. There are others here this morning who may feel like you've been good your entire life. You feel like there are no problems, no issues, and you look at all of the other Nebuchadnezzars in the world around you and you say, yeah, you know what? I told you so. I told you so. I told you so. Well, be very careful that your religious activities aren't somehow creating a suffocating pride within your own life where you have lived a lot of your life well, but in the end, you get your eyes off of what really matters most, the Lord. Today, we all face a very real choice. Are you going to trust in your own strength, your own power, your own greatness, or will you humbly acknowledge the King of kings and the Lord of lords and let him lift you up? Let's pray.